Hello and welcome to SWAS Radio. My name is Mai Weiss. My name is Lena Nasena. Today we are speaking with the team behind the Baytem Theater project, Decolonizing the Curriculum, which is an ongoing project in residence at SWAS University this academic year. Here in the studio with us are Suda Buchar and Nila Dolajalawa, who both have extensive experience in London theater. Currently, they're working on Decolonizing the Curriculum, a new verbatim theater project by Buchar Boulevard Theatre Company. So, Nila and Suda, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us who you are and how you got involved with this project? You know, my name is Suda Butcher and I'm the artistic director of Butcher Boulevard. Um, but before that, I have a sort of over 30 year career as an actor writer I'm the co-founder of Tamasha theater company uh, and in fact the other co-founder Christine London Smith she's also one of our co-creators of this project uh, so we have a kind of collective experience of making work you know about British Asian experience in the first instance but just making sort of British theater from the lens of the other as it were you know bringing stories that wouldn't otherwise be on the stage so the, this particular project uh, what came about my sister Suman Butcher so there's four of us all together collaborators she has been talking to um, Professor Edward Simpson of the SOAS Asia Institute for a while about uh, this project and this important conversation that SOAS are having around decolonization and how that would be uh, the verbatim theater way would be a great way of capturing those conversations so we're delighted that we've been invited to be here partly funded by SOAS and partly by the Arts Council of England to to, you know, do this brilliant research. So my name's Neela and I'm working on this project with um, Suman Sado and Christine. Um, my personal background is I'm a teacher and a theatre maker, so I'm a qualified maths and economics teacher and I have a particular interest in verbatim theatre, which is the tool that we're using for this particular project and have been working in the last year using headphone verbatim theatre as a particular technique because I think it's a really useful tool for discussing quite sensitive issues um, on stage and exploring a range of opinions and voices in quite an empathetic way. So I'm quite excited to be on this project with the rest of the team um, currently gathering interviews as our source material. Um, we both know that there's been a big move for decolonizing the curriculum at SOAS in recent years, um, but we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the origins of the discourse around decolonization and how it's led to this verbatim theatre project. You know, we are, in a way, we are the sort of naive interviewers who are building our knowledge as we are gathering interviews, you know, with academic students. And my initial thought was that it was the whole Roads Must Fall campaign that started in 2015 and the kind of global resonance of that. But as we talk to people, we realize that, you know, obviously this conversation in an institute like SOAS has been present for a long time. Um, I just interviewed Edward Simpson and, you know, he was talking about how in the 50s people, you know, were, were doing work that could be labeled under this um, banner of decolonization, thinking about their position within practice as anthropologists, etc. Um, so for us, it is... Um As, as Neela was saying, using the verbatim technique allows you to capture people in their own words. So it's very important for us to not bring 
our opinions. You know, it is about us gathering the opinions of all the constituencies at SOAS who actually, in an institute anyway, you know, it, they may not be able to speak to each other all the time. So hopefully what we can do is reflect those views back and then it can, you know, further the conversation that's already happening. Just a note for our listeners, uh, Verbatim Theatre is a documentary theatre technique which is based on the spoken words of real people taken from recorded interviews and testimonials. And Verbatim Theatre has become increasingly popular in London over recent years and known for being very effective and a powerful medium. So what are each of your relationships with this form of theatre and why do you think it's so compelling? Verbatim Theatre for me has the a very rich possibility of using people's real words to create a piece of drama that therefore has a sp- particular resonance with the audience because they know that these are words that somebody actually spoke. And I know that Suda has worked extensively on um, written verbatim where you take the words that someone has said to you and you script them, uh, transcribe them and then you produce your script from that and then the actors act that and also then on headphone verbatim which is a slightly different technique where you don't necessarily transcribe your interviews but you edit them in the same way that you'll edit a radio show and the actors then listen to the original source material on headphones and when they are on stage they are kind of channeling that voice to the audience they're only a split second behind the voice that they're hearing in their ears so the audience are not hearing the original source material they're hearing um, an actor kind of repeating it back to them just a split second behind and the aim of that is that the actor does not add their own layer of emotion onto that person's voice but they work very hard to just capture all the kind of specifics of that person's um all the idiosyncrasies of their voice you know their pauses their breaths which in some ways takes the ego out of acting a little in some way and i think for pieces of theatre around topics such as this where you have a lot of passion and a lot of emotion involved and there's something quite powerful about sitting and listening to all of these people's views and putting on stage a range of um, opinions and feelings that don't necessarily often get brought into conversation with each other. You're almost staging the conversations that don't always get to happen and I, I think there's something quite powerful about that. But it's not without its ethical dilemmas um, and conversations as an art form, I think. Well, as exactly as Nila says, I mean, I have done... Um I worked with Christine on a piece called The Trouble with Asian Men um, of quite a few years ago. And it was at a time when, you know, Asian men, well, as they still are in, in the newspapers for being trouble, you know, because they were potential terrorists or, you know, the whole idea of the anger of Asian men. And we wanted to sort of turn it on its head and actually talk to them in their own words and to see what was troubling them, you know, and some of it was quite playful and even things about nurture. Are they mummies, boys? Are they metrosexual men? Are they you know, masculine in a kind of patriarchal way, you know, so we were capturing individual stories uh, and the show was made from that. Um, and the other show that I recently worked on, which I, I, I sort of imaginatively took a leap away from Headphone, where I, it was a, sto- a true story of a girl called Molly Campbell 
who had hit the global headlines in 2006. She was half Pakistani and half half Scottish white and she had run away from home from an island in Scotland. And the father, who at the time was a sort of bearded Muslim wearing shalwar kameez, he was basically accused of kidnapping her and it, it made global headlines and it, it fed into the whole Islam versus the West. You know, the t- tyrannical father kidnaps daughter for forced marriage. You know, it became all that kind of... And so what I was able to do was I went and interviewed the father and the daughter in Pakistan, the mother in Stornoway in Scotland, and then I transcribed their interviews. And I thought I was going to write a fictional play, but I kept coming back to them in their own words because anything I could write was not as powerful as how they said it. So in that instance, I used their verbatim testimony as if the audience were me and they were telling me their story about how the headlines about them were wrong and how the media had got it wrong. Uh, and that was a very powerful you know, way, even though they were not in the same room together, they were speaking to their story. That sounds really interesting. Those examples are very interesting. And it sort of reminds me of documentary film, but it almost transcends the limitations of that because you can play with it much more. Um, I would love to hear more about the reactions of the people you're interviewing, especially, for example, those the Asian men for that play. But um, maybe we could use the example of the workshop last week, which introduced headphone verbatim technique to at SOAS mm. as, an, as like an entry point for discussing the responses you get from people usually when you when you do this kind of work with them? I mean, I think overwhelmingly the responses are always quite sort of visceral, aren't they? And very, I find, deep. You know, I think people respond to the, the deep listening that has taken place in order to edit and make the show and then to for the actors to really be a conduit, you know, that they're talking in such a sort of immediate way to the audience. Uh, I mean, I think people's responses are always, and even people who are seeing themselves, you know, I always find them, I, I, I always fear the worst. And then, thankfully, touch wood, I mean, so as might be the first time. <laughs> you know, don't you find that people are kind of profoundly moved by it, usually, you know? I think um, when you're working on a piece of headphone verbatim theatre, this idea of deep listening is really important. And I think it comes in at every single part of the process. So when you're interviewing somebody, to start with, you are there as someone to, to deeply listen to their views and opinions. And it's less about your own as the interviewer. It's just about where they are at. Then when you go into the edit room and you're editing their story, you might speak to them for an hour. But what you end up taking from that is a three minute clip. And we have ethics around how we do that. We edit chronologically. We edit to not change meaning. And we try to keep the context of what they're saying there. And you have to listen deeply to what they're saying to figure out, well, what's the actual story behind that interview? What's What would be the story that goes on stage? Um, that is also true to what they're saying overall. And then for the actors themselves, they have to deeply listen in order to channel that person's voice in a kind of accurate way. And then for the audience as well, they have to deeply listen to what's being presented to them. So the whole um, process of headphone verbatim theatre for me is about deep listening at every single level. 
And throughout all those processes as a theatre maker, you always have in the back of your mind that the person that you interviewed might be sitting in the audience watching the portrayal of themselves. And if at any point you feel uncomfortable with how um, they might feel, then you know that somewhere along the line something hasn't gone right with your editing process and your performance process. So the show that I worked on last year was called The Talk and it was about people's experiences of sex and relationship education and a lot of those stories were deeply personal and for me, knowing that they were sitting in the audience listening to their own stories, albeit portrayed anonymously, having that in the back of your mind throughout the whole process was really, really important. And people did come and see that show and they saw themselves in it. For them, a lot of people spoke about how empowering it felt to be able to share their stories on stage in a way that they hadn't done before, but without revealing who they were. And I think that, you know, as we start this project at SOAS, people will be interested in what would it feel like to be interviewed? What are the objectives of the interviewer and of the theatre company in general? And really, we're just here to listen and then to share the breadth of the diversity of views here. Um, and people can be interviewed anonymously or with their name. So there's a I mean, range of ways of being involved. If I could share, just because I wrote down, you know, the workshop last week, um, one of the students who came who was actually an anthropology student, and she said something like, you know, verbatim understands beneath the vocabulary of people. There was more space for hesitation, more not knowing, showing doubt and space for silence. And she said, as academics, you're always encouraged to finish off sentences, you know, to be really articulate, to try and encapsulate exactly what you're saying in really carefully constructed language. And in a sense, this is the opposite because people are not careful. You know, they, they, they reveal of themselves even in how they're talking, where they might trail off their pauses. And I, I think silence does allow, does allow you to deeply listen, you know. So it isn't the kind of theatre where there's huge amount of action or, you know, often you're sitting on seats and directly talking to the audience. We don't know what the shape of this is going to be, but I think what we're now, what I'm finding um, in this sort of early stage is that we're actually also looking at the gaps, you know, and one of the academics said that in a sense, the gaps, there is this wonderful ethos of decolonization, but what it means to people, there are very different constituencies of what it might mean to individual students, to the working group, to the curriculum, to people who actually feel that SOAS with its colonial past cannot be ever decolonized. You know, so it's a wide variety of views. And those people may not necessarily talk to each other on a daily basis or feel that they can talk to each other. And hopefully, I mean, what well, if we can help have a conversation, then... That is all we can do in a way, you know. I think in some ways it's like you were speaking before about um, My Name Is and how it looked at the stories behind the headlines. This is very similar. I mean, so as hit the headlines, you know, in the last couple of years because of this decolonizing the curriculum debate, although it's a, a much older and has a much deeper history, this debate, and the headlines have picked up on it more recently. But what is the story behind those headlines is, again? Um, and that's quite interesting it's a similar type of process you know the the public might have one specific specific perception of what's been happening at SOAS and can we actually look at the kind of richness behind it and break down some of those assumptions that people have made um I think that's quite important but it's true we have we don't know what this piece of theatre is going to look like yet and that's exciting because we we are literally working as we go and the stories will come out as as we work 
Um, and that, that's quite thrilling. To emphasise in a way that it, this is like the first phase, you know, so there will be public sharings um, on February the 7th and 8th, I think, which is, you know, a very short space of time. But we hope it will be the beginning rather than, oh, this is the definitive debate around it. You know, it can't be that. It's a journey and we're, we will only be able to capture a small part of that, you know. So you've both been spending time around SOAS uh, interviewing students and staff members. How have you experienced SOAS so far? Well, I mean, it's, to be honest, for me, it's been one of those places that had this sort of aura of mystery and kind of specialism, you know, to have a place in London that teaches languages from where I come from, you know. Like my sister Suman actually came here to learn, you know, bridge bhasha, which is a sort of like you just think how thrilling that, that there is somewhere that offers that. So it's always been a place that I've been awed by. So I feel quite privileged to be here. And really, I feel like I'm a student again, you know, in a way that I wasn't when I was a student. And I would actually like nothing better than to just be in residence here and, you know, not to have to worry about how we're going. You know, it feels like a responsibility because you feel you feel that you owe it to the place to reflect things well. Uh, but for instance, you know, we've been privileged to sit in on, you know, discussions around the, the working practicalities of how to bring about decolonization. But yesterday we sat in on a fantastic lecture from a guest lecturer, Gurnam Singh, around the BAME attainment gap. And I think the conversations are so profound and people are doing so much deep thinking you know, deconstructing this whole thing in a way that could really relate to us in the theatre. And sometimes in the theatre, it doesn't have that same deepness to it, you know. So I, I, on the, I don't know if I've answered you, but I feel quite privileged to be here and, and really just want to soak it up. I, I definitely echo that. I'm, I'm feeling quite um, excited to be here and a little bit in awe of everything that's going on. You know, I've I've also always looked at SOAS and thought, what's going on behind the doors and what would it be like to study there? And as a teacher myself, you know, some of my students have gone off and studied here and I've I've always had a kind of, um, when you know, they got their offer letter and I heard that they got their results and that they were here, I was like, oh, that's going to be such an exciting time for them. Um, so wandering around and everyone I've interviewed so far, you know, talking to them about either what they teach or what they're studying, I've kind of thought, wow, you know, I want to be doing that. I want to be doing that. And and the level of conversation and debate, even what you overhear in, you know, cafeterias, it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's just really refreshing to be in an environment where people talk about things. And even I was sitting in the bar the other day and I was just reading the table. You know, the table's covered in graffiti. And you, you could spend a whole year just analysing, I think, the tabletop discussions <laughs> in the bar and, and what they all mean. Um, I just see I, so much diversity, you know, both from within UK and London and also international in one building. I mean, it, that is just incredible. You don't see that, you know. And in a way, SOAS reflects London that in that sense, you know. Thank you. I'm afraid we are running out of time. Do you want to add one more thing before? I just want to say that although we had a workshop last week on headphone verbatim, there's another workshop coming up in January that Suda will be running on the 24th of January at 5.30 in room B211. Um, the details are on the South Asia Institute webpage, but it, that will be more about written verbatim. Yes, it was sort of how, yeah, how to use verbatim as a source for work, yeah. 
But also we would dearly love to talk to people, students, please come and find us. So you can email me, which is Sudha, S-U-D-H-A, Butcher, B-H-U-C-H-A-R, at gmail.com. So that's SudhaButcher at gmail.com. We'd love anyone to get in touch. Mm. And there's four of us wandering around. So if you see us, come and say hello. We've got visitor tags on. Uh, so thank you again, uh, Nila and Suda, for coming here and sharing this really interesting project with us. Best of luck. And thank you, Lena. Thank you, Mai. It was great talking to you guys. Thanks. Thank you. thank you. Just a reminder to our listeners that the next workshops on writing verbatim theatre will take place after the holidays on Thursday, 24th of January. And make sure you check it out. So thank you for listening to SOAS Radio. Goodbye.